Anyway. What is going on in Israel? Anyway, I think we should... Stuff. Uh, y- y- actually... It's been quite a, a difficult process to get us together in a room to do this podcast this week. Yeah, it's it's a tough week. Valentine's Day will do that to you, especially when it's on a Tuesday. I know. Valentine's Day destroyed me this this week. Just knocked the wind right out of me. And it's an ex- uh, it's an expensive day. It is an expensive day, especially if you happen to be the male in a relationship. And you need to do it impressing, which almost every male does. So Yeah, even Barack Obama said go big. <laughs> well, Barack Obama tells you to go big. You go big. You do. You have to. Now, um, It's a mandate. It, which is it's even stranger that it's been tough to get together for this podcast because we um, don't have a guest this week. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's what... Uh, What's made it so difficult? We're not like, oh, someone more important than us said Monday at nine o'clock, so that's when we'll be there. Mm-hmm. So um, let's just we'll do it. Now we, there's a reason we don't have a guest today, and we'll get to that. Yeah, later. And it's not because it's not because I'm a shitty producer. No, and Doug's already gave us two instances to get an explicit tag today uh, in our podcast so far. So well, Doug I do, is it, a gr- I do it early, so we don't. I don't have to like look through it to see if it mm. needs it or not. That, that's a lot easier that way. Get it out of the way. So our, our in in lieu of an interview, we thought we'd we'd do try a different sort of episode format. Um, a little different approach this week. And this week we're going to be talking about something uh, I'm interested in. I know Doug's interested in. Uh, and that is the history of music videos a, a little bit. Um, we obviously can't cover the whole thing. It's a very large subject, but we're going to get into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited because I've been reading the new book that came out uh, just a few, in, in October called, you may have seen this if you went to your local bookstore, called I Want My MTV, The Uncensored Story of the Music Video Revolution uh, by Craig Marks and Rob Tannenbaum. Have you, have you, I, I also understand you are enjoying this book, Doug. I am enjoying this book very much. Uh, it's, um, it's pretty awesome. And I, and, and I would assume that if you're listening to this podcast, uh, um, then you probably enjoy music videos. And so therefore you would probably enjoy this book because, uh, in addition to talking about the history of, uh, MTV, it, it basically gets into the history of music videos. So, uh yeah, that's my book pick of the week. So Doug, did you watch the Grammys? Every see this is I this is what I love about January and February that every single weekend almost there's this big tele- televised event that almost always includes music. They know everybody, you know, it's winter. You notice that uh probably everybody in the world doesn't notice this, but a lot of the TV programming happens by seasons. It's winter, everybody's indoors in the US. And they probably are home on Sundays, and that's when things like the Super Bowl and the Oscars and the Grammys are broadcast. And the Grammys are by far my favorite broadcast or awards show out of anything. I, I sometimes watch the Oscars, but I always watch the Grammys. Did you did you catch the Grammys this year, Doug? Uh, I did. I watched uh, most of it. I stopped for an hour to switch over to The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. But switched back, and uh, I feel like I got all the important things because, um, from what I noticed, like the same bands performed like eleven times <laughs> during the Grammys, over to the over and over again. So like I saw the Foo Fighters, and so I guess I I missed them playing with a different band. Uh, but but for the you know I saw Adele and I saw the uh, the um, in memory of section, mm-hmm. which were probably two of the key moments and i think i saw every other performer at least once so uh, i know it's everybody was so juiced up for adele so juiced up by the time that it i mean that's a very good example of just so much uh, metadata floating around performance by the time that adele took the stage everybody was just insane with anticipation and in a very different way 
I think in anticipation of Nicki Minaj's thing, because they kept doing this thing where they're like, "This I hate when they do this," where they're like, "And coming up, you know, later the performance that everybody will be talking about tomorrow by Nicki Minaj." Yeah, um, like automatically trying to like insert that little piece as if like, as if that wasn't that isn't what the Grammys is in the first place uh, to like try to like try to pinpoint the moments before the moments even happen mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense but uh now, one of my favorite moments though was seeing dead mouse you know that's DJing that's actually right right when i switched to um right when i switched over to the walking dead reluctantly well, that was the, that was like the third or fourth time the, uh, the foo fighters were on the grammys right so I don't know. I don't. I didn't understand that little section they had out, outdoors in the tent, where with, Jack Black threw it to him and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was weird and interesting. Whatever. And there's there's always uh, moments like that in the uh, in award shows that like I don't know. They're trying to do, like do something so out of the box, and it, it's like just always seems misplaced. Like why is that even in there at all? Why are they outside in the rain in like a circus tent? Right. Uh, now the Grammys, we should mention, does have a. Oh, before I mention that, uh, we should mention that. Um, no, I should mention that. I thought it was really cool seeing. I'm not really like a big fan of DJ music or, or whatever, but I do. I do know that this was like a first for the Grammys to have dance music kind of featured. They featured it alongside the Foo Fighters and Lil Wayne, um, right. but they did have Dead Mouse, who's a Canadian, by the way. Um, and then wasn't Lil Wayne promptly arrested? Is I did I think I read that somewhere <laughs> that he was like immediately arrested after performing for possession of a weapon. Twitter may have just been lying about that, but I didn't read about. It. I probably was lying. There's there's been this whole um, R.I.P. thing going on on Twitter for Chris Brown, right? Um, yeah, well, they're like they just mean they're killing somebody, and so they just do the R.I.P. thing. I think it's I think it's pretty hilarious. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of it. Now, uh, we should mention that the Grammys has two uh, categories for music videos, which are awarded in the... You, you may have heard that Skrillex won a bunch of awards, and you may think, I didn't see him doing the thing. It's because they, they give out a lot of awards at their little pre-show thing. And yeah, which is so... It's so weird to me. Like, Kanye won, like, 11 awards before the show even started. What? Like... It seems like rap album of the year is is relatively significant award, isn't it? I don't know why they don't play that. Uh, I mean, the show ran long as it is, so I guess they got to kind of. I know, cut but in they... lieu uh, in lieu of fifteen Foo Fighters performances, they couldn't <laughs> squeeze in like rap album of the year. Like, like, like. That I mean, is I know a Ka- lot. That is. I know. A lot. I know Kanye wasn't there. Um, but it's not like they 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 were like overflowing with like a billion different people. I mean, they they literally. Foo Fighters performed all night. Mm-hmm. You know, three, not I think keep, three times. Not to keep beating them up. I mean, I, I like I like Foo Fighters. Well, anyway, this whole discussion is all. I was just trying to get around to the point that the Grammys have two uh, music video awards for short form and long form music videos. It's not entirely clear what those distinctions are. Uh, short form uh, was no surprise. Adele "Rolling in the Deep," which is not a great music video, I would contend. Directed by Sam Brown and Hannah Chandler. Well, I don't understand what they, what they could be using to determine best, most popular. Maybe, I mean, it, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing about that music video that to me says it's the best of the year. It may have been like the best song, and so it, and it has a music video. So when wins best music video? Do you think that might be it? Um. I suppose so. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not really sure of the whole Grammy criteria in general. Um, but the actually the the it appears to be just directed by uh, Sam Brown. It might have been uh, produced by Hannah Chandler. And the long form is Who Fighters back and forth. Then again, here here again, you can see a theme here. Adele swept all of the Grammys, including music video, and um, the Who Fighters were everywhere. I honestly did not even know people. I didn't know <laughs> no, they were still making music. Uh, Who and, the Foo Fighters? Yeah, and that it's the, not a surprise though that they're making good music videos if they're still making music because that's some, been something that they've always been kind of known for doing. Yeah, uh, but no, I am a little surprised too that they even had a, a record that was nominated for for best album and all that stuff. I don't, I don't really get, I don't really get 
what what makes things the best i guess based on the grammys like the the list of albums that were that were nominated for the best i guess just seemed like there were with the popular ones not not any kind of like uh which it which is which which is different than what you get in the Academy Awards, you know what I mean? A lot of times movies are nominated for Academy Awards and people hadn't even heard of them until they were nominated, uh, which never seems to be the case for the Grammys. Right, and I should also mention that the I mentioned that there's no distinction between long form and short form. Of course, there is the back and forth by the Food Fighters. is actually a documentary um, with live footage, uh, um, uh, which so, is so directed is by uh, James Maul. So is that is that, did you look at the other nominees? Was it more like... Uh, It'd be sweet if Robbie Starbucks uh, um, uh, Smashing Pumpkins music video was nominated. Uh, that the other say- nominees were like um, Beyonce, I Am, Dot 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 World Tour, um, A Tribe Called Quest, just documentaries uh, uh, in longer uh, form, okay. longer form stuff. Like the uh, some of the past winners are like uh, When You're Strange, a film about the Doors, Doors, uh, All Together Now, the Beatles one. A uh, concert for George. Uh, so these are like concert videos and longer form stuff. That uh, that a tribe called Quest documentary is directed by Michael Rappaport. Interesting ah. tidbit of information. That is to tidbitacious. So I think that um, that's it. those are the two winners. Did we uh, did we do a Grammy wrap up and not and not say the word Whitney Houston once? That's right. I was uh, I was in a hotel room in. Um, Asheville, North Carolina, and the word came around that Whitney Houston was dead, which is um, which is sad. I, I don't really know a lot about Whitney Houston, although uh, uh, I, I want to I, I want to quote Dave Holmes, who is uh, or Dave Holmes. I don't know if you pronounce the L or not. Um, who is a former MTV VJ and is uh, quoted heavily in the book that we're about to talk about. So I think that this is a good quote to bridge us. Uh, The quote is, when a celebrity dies, Twitter instantly becomes the guy next to you at the airport bar. I think that that is uh, uh, pretty truthful. That is. Um, And I don't know, it's always weird when somebody dies and people react to it on Twitter because there's always... There's always three camps. There's the people who are like genuinely upset about the person dying. There's the people who are like making jokes about it and and don't care, which were there certainly a lot of with Randy right. Houston. And then there's the third one who are like really upset that anybody's mourning this person's death because there are horrible things going on in the world. So all of these just come and and, and crash down together. It happened in the exact same way with us uh, with Steve Jobs. And, and and Michael and Michael Jackson and anyone who like anyone who was significant um you know significant like that when they die twitter becomes this yeah big stream of consciousness and i think that the, those three camps are appropriate or either either one of those three things or you just don't don't care at all um which usually causes you to react in either the joke way or the you know, we should we should move on to the topic at hand. Uh, yeah, the the big topic, the big interview replacing topic that we uh, wanted to cover. It's um, you know, we tend to think about the advent of the music video as starting with MTV. I think especially people of our generation, because Doug, you and I are both born in 1985, and MTV started in 1981. So by the time we were born, there was a 24-hour cable TV channel dedicated just to music videos so which was which was and it's important to note that at that time was significant because now there's a 24-hour cable network dedicated to everything but at that time basically news and sports were the only things you were getting for 24 hours and and movies and movies right so um so for our entire lives there's been a, a uh or for most of our lives um, petering out later, but we'll talk about that at another time. Um, there's been a sort of a this source of music videos. So, you know, the actual intersection of of the starting up of MTV and, and that, you know, how it came to be and the way that there became enough music videos to actually show on MTV is an interesting story in and of itself. But I thought we'd start, go back way, way back Um because as we've talked about on this podcast before, and um, is sort of a thread of what we go, what we do through this, 
and talk about is that there's always a really close relationship between the technical part of making uh, videos and or making moving images and pairing them with sound and uh, and music videos. So I thought well, we can all put on our film school history hat and go back to the very advent of uh, sound film because obviously when film first came out it was uh, uh, silent as this year's Oscar-nominated film The Artist has uh, you know uh, drawn to our attention. And you know, I'm sure as many people know, when you went to see uh, films in those days, there'd be some either it'd be completely silent, or somebody would be playing piano, or there'd be an orchestra accompanying it, or something like that. There was no real technical way to match sound with um, images. And for a long time, there was it was extremely technically uh, difficult to match sound with images. Um, people would try to match them up with having a record playing at the same time, but of course things would get out, out of sync. Um, there were many different patents and things like that, and how do we make this happen from very simple devices to very complicated contraptions? But, uh, you know, generally things to be, became more technically, technically possible as time went on, and then we have the advent of talkies in, you know, around 1927. And of course, uh, when people have sound on film, what's one of the first things they gravitate to, and that's music. And that's why uh, when you know the first recognized by everybody as the first talking sound movie in 1927 is the jazz singer Al Jolston, which has dialogue but also features as a main portion of it um, people uh, Al Jolston singing. So right away you have a really uh, heavy focus on music when you when you're talking about m- mirroring music and um, and images. This is true. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> well then, after you know after that, uh, things go pretty quickly, and I think one of the um, and obviously you can look back to many many films, um, especially in the 1950s, and you know. Uh, Throughout you know the history of sound on film, a lot of them feature music, right? There's Broadway, you know, just a few, oh, not a few years ago, but ten years ago, Chicago won Best Film at the Oscars, and that was a musical. It featured songs that had images to go along with it and people singing. Um, but we're looking a little bit more. Uh, so in that way, you could say a lot of films were kind of a little bit of precursors to music videos. But what we're talking about is. Um, just like the name of the, our site implies, filmed inserts, short clips that are specifically built around um, uh, videos. And to the point that there has been like a lot of, you know, music on film going on and, and that the fact that music has always played a big part in in film, uh, it's hard to say, you know, there there wasn't ever really a first music video. You know, there's no... There's no actual video that you can point at and say that was the first music video ever made because kind of from the beginning of filmmaking, you know, making music a part of it has always been, you know, central to the process. Correct. And so I'm going to talk about just a few of the like actual precursors to music videos. And I think the one that exemplifies music videos the best is something called soundies. You may notice that people did not really give very clever names to these things. Uh, talking videos are talkies. And then we have these soundies. And soundies are basically um, very similar to music videos. They're uh, short clips, three to four minutes, um, of people performing different songs. And these covered all different types of genres of music from um, country-ish music uh, to, you know, uh, jazz to orchestral music. And it actually featured uh, people who are, people, names that we recognize today, like um, Liberace, uh, Doris Day, Lawrence Welk, uh, Jimmy Dorsey, and funny enough, someone named Spike Jones, but not with a Z, a J-O-N-E-S. And, you know, I took a look through these, and a lot of them are very much what you'd expect, sort of these um, film performances where there's not, you know, there's dancers in the background. They kind of look like you took uh, a scene out of a musical movie in the 50s and just chopped it up. Um, But there are a few that actually kind of uh, 
resemble music videos today. Uh, one that we'll link to in the show notes is Martha Tilton's I've Got a Little Jive for You in 1941, which is a song that she's singing, but she plays a, a, a part of this nurse who's talking to three guys in the waiting room who have you know, bandages around their heads or a, a cast on their leg. And, you know, she just kind of stands there and does a song, but there's a little bit of a concept to it. By the end of it, you know, the guys get up and sort of dance around and they're they're cured. It's a little bit hard to follow, but this is 1941. Um, and, you know, there are a few of them that have, you know, definitely that performance, just sort of standing and looking at the camera and singing aspect to it. But they're starting to introduce a little bit of these um, uh, narrative or sort of conceptual formats to it. Uh, and you, so the question is, wh- what were these used for? And these are actually played in bars and different, like pool halls and things like that. Um, again, with the technical being, you know, married to this this format, uh, there were all sorts of different companies that made these machines that you'd put like a nickel in, or you know, some I, I don't know, some of the, it was they're coin operated, and they worked off sixteen millimeter film, and um, you'd play them in in bars and and different other things, you know pubs and places where people gather. It still kind of goes on these days. You know, every once in a while, you know, you go to a bowling alley on a Saturday night, they turn the lights out, put the uh, black lights on, and they'll play, you know, the coolest music videos ever on the projection screen in the back of the bowling alley in Boca Raton, Florida. Exactly. Uh, you sound like you're speaking from uh, from experience, Doug. I have, and, and I've also seen them um, at um, uh, strip clubs. They play a lot of <laughs> a lot of rap videos. Essentially, they might just they might just put on BET uncut and uh, let it run. It might not be anything specific that they got going on there, hmm. but yeah, they do it at strip clubs too. I don't know who, why uh, I know that, or why I while I was at a strip club I was watching the TV. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a lot of questions here, yeah. Yeah, but both are true, and they're all re- they'll remain unanswered. Now, so. You know, there are many, many different... I mean, I think that's the, the clearest kind of line we can draw between old formats and music videos of today. But And there are, you know, tons of examples. You know, people talk about, like, Fantasia, 1940, uh, Disney's um, cartoon Silly Symphonies, which were little short cartoons. Um, and if you actually, like, think of the names of these old-style cartoons from the 40s and 50s, like Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies... Um, they're all based around music. You don't really kind of think of it. You just think of Mary Melodies as the name, but they're all uh, musically oriented, um, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you think of like uh, the Roadrunner stuff, that there was no talking at all. Uh, none of those characters spoke. Uh, That's true. Yeah. And even know. in and even in like the like a, think of the, like the Three Little Pigs Silly Symphony, um, the idea of Silly Symphonies was that, that these characters played songs and things like that along with the narrative. Now and that they were silly. They were. They're. I've seen them. They're very silly, almost abrasively silly. Now um, the big shift. We need a shift, right? We need a shift from people. Uh, what we would call an idealized performance, right? Getting a performance on um, on film uh, that is basically just filming something that somebody would be doing on a stage anyway, and the name that always comes up in big shifts in rock and in music in general are the Beatles, and in this case, uh, the thing that kind of broke this open for them was Hard Day's Night, and in, uh, it's not a music video, but it's a movie. Have you ever seen Hard Hard Day's Night? Doug, the whole movie? Mm, I have not seen the whole movie. I, you know, I've seen kind of like parts of it, but I have not seen seen it in its entirety. So the the idea here and the reason why it was so influential, and this is 1964, is that um, it kind of introduced some of the elements that people would start running with for music videos later on. So we think of the scene in... Um, uh, the train early in the movie where they sing, um, what's the name of the song called? Um, I, I gotta back that ass up. Yes, back that ass up. Anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, it's the one with the harmonica. But basically, they're sitting in this train car um, and they're in the storage area where they're surrounded by fences. And all of a sudden, the music starts. They didn't have any instruments before, and all of a sudden, they cut to them and they've got their guitars. Um, 
and uh, you know it's cut a lot faster than a lot of sort of musical um, performances were shot as around that time. Um, they're basically just existing in a in a scene, and they're not singing to the camera or anything like that. They're just basically performing the song, you know, kind of in a circle in this train car around them while these girls are kind of looking at them. And there's this moment where the girl tries to reach in and grab, you know, grab John. There's these little moments. Um, and the director of that, Dick Lester, who directed a lot of uh, comedy stuff on the BBC uh, before he directed Hard Day's Night, was very influential in that. But um, you know, that's, you know, and then later in, the, in 1967, the Beatles did th things like Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane, where they started incorporating, you know, psychedelic, um, you know, pieces into their music that were obviously uh, not things that would be done live. In fact, they weren't even performing live at that time. Uh, you know, they really kind of pioneered the uh, transition from you know doing performance videos where they're kind of looking at the camera performing and then going all the way to you know having them be interpretations of the music and the purpose of these videos in in addition to um you know the the beatles always kind of wanting to stretch their creativity and, and get get it into other spaces but um another purpose of this video was was for kind of to show the bands to places that they weren't able to go. You know, this was a band in England and, and, and in order for people in America to see what the Beatles were and what they were all about, like other British bands, you know, they needed to put it on film or else nobody would know what they were like. Well, initially they did tours for that, right? That was the, that was the idea. They, you know, the famous Ed Sullivan performance when they came to America, that's how many Americans, I mean, the Beatles had actually, uh, you know, tried to be introduced by uh, by a record. I can forget the name of the record company. They had, had tried and failed really in the American market, and then you know it's been a while since I've read a Beatles book. But obviously, you know the Ed Sullivan Show performance is their first introduction to America. But then initially, you know, eventually they actually stopped performing, going out on tour and actually appearing in person to these people. Um, well, yeah, and, and for a lot of bands, videos like this even even outside of the Beatles were were made in lieu of of doing live performances or even you know it, not just tours but in lieu of going on the Ed Sullivan show you know you could just have a have a clip right to, to, you know to send around to you know top of the pops or or, or something like that and at this point uh, a country that you might not think has much of a history of music videos comes into the picture and that is a little country called uh, New Zealand and obviously, if you are a band anywhere, it takes a long time to get to New Zealand, right? Um, it takes, uh, I don't know, it's, it's farther than Australia. I think from L.A., it's like 16 hours or something like that. And it's not like big of a market, probably, for, um, for musicians. So as early as 1966, just as you said, Doug, bands would send these videos out and they'd send them to New Zealand. And say, I'm sorry, we can't come to New Zealand, but have this video of us playing. Play this on TV, all your New Zealand TV shows. We can't make a personal appearance. And eventually they said, okay, around 1976, they said, we've got all these, these videos. Why don't we make this into a show? So they started a show called Radio with Pictures. Um, and this is in 1976. And actually, Australia had done this in 1974. They had a, a, um, a show called Countdown and a show called Sounds. And these are two of the earliest instances of this sort of, there's a lot of them, these shows that are um, just like half an hour, one hour long shows that are that play music videos. Um, and actually USA, uh, the United States had a show like this um, on the USA network uh, called Video Concert Hall in 1978, three years before MTV. So the idea of music videos was not completely foreign to the public in general, although they were they were not all that popular. Right, right. They they weren't completely unheard of. Certainly, not every band was doing them, um, and and almost almost every band that was doing them was doing them uh, uncomfortably. Right. Uh, but but um, you know, it was a you know a very performance based. A lot of times, it was like uh, 
you know, they would just if they were doing a uh, a live performance of a show, you know, if they were doing a show on a stage, you know, earlier in the day, they'll just shoot them lip syncing it and kind of sun- send that around to to places that they weren't able to get to and like New Zealand and uh, yeah, it was it was certainly um, not not completely foreign, but also not something that people were were doing with regularity or with very much seriousness. Right. And, um, you know, at this point in the storyline of music videos, obviously MCV comes into play. Um, and it's interesting the, the, the history of, of, of where it came from. Um, because it, at first cable, you know, like many technologies, people are kind of not sure what to do with it. What, what is the actual purpose of it? Um, Initially, cable they thought was going to be like an interactive medium, um, kind of like the internet is today. Um, they thought that you would be able to do all sorts of things from your cable, from cable, such as um, you know trading stocks, uh, you know doing other financial transactions, you know all these like pipe dreams, like shopping for your groceries on your TV and things like that. Um, they all thought that when cable was initially coming into homes in like the late '70s and early '80s. Uh, they thought, okay, this is what we're going to use it for. And um, Warner Amex uh, of yeah, American Express and Warner Communications uh, decided they would launch this uh, system called Cube, Q-U-B-E, initially in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that had these different interactive uh, channels to it. Um, and one of them was a channel called Sight on Sound, and it featured like concert music video footage, um, and you could order up, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, clips of concerts and things like that. Um, and obviously, since uh, anybody who was alive in the 80s probably never even used anything like this, the idea of this didn't uh, take off. Um, but it was kind of the initial genesis of, of, of MTV. Yeah, they, uh, MTV was kind of sold as um, something that, was you know it was all based on demographics really they were looking for something to reach a an age group that had no you know had nothing for them at the time you know what i mean like even though um there were, you know and, and that age group of course is like the what is it like the 12 to 24 uh age group does that seem about right um, Something like that. I think it was was it John Lack who said that you know around the time MTV came out, uh, it seems hard to believe now, but he said teens weren't interested in cable because cable wasn't interested in them. They had children's shows, um, and they had you know ad- you know more adult shows, but there wasn't really anything any channel geared toward them, and that's where MTV kind of came into the fold. Right. They they compi- they the only comparison was like they were. Like the type of shows they were watching were like SNL, but the fact that Saturday Night Live had had such an you know had also had that thirty plus audience who spent a lot more money at the time. I mean, uh, you know that 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 there was nothing geared towards you know that teenage to early twenties age group that MTV kind of has captured kind of since they started and kind of continues to and. Uh, has basically in, they've they've essentially invented products for that age group based on the network essentially mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 been uh and and, and it was it, it was done it you know by calculation i mean you know what i mean like as as hip as mtv has always kind of seemed and tried to be i mean it was started by american express essentially so it's it was it started to make money and uh you know that was always kind of what they were trying to sell even though at the beginning they didn't really have the way to make money all they were doing was selling the they thought that they could be successful in that age group that's what that's what it was all about at the beginning right now now we should talk about some of the um people who are kind of players in this initial MTV startup, because uh, it really was a startup. We have uh, Bob Pittman, 
who a lot of these guys are radio guys. Bob Pittman is a radio guy, and if you know anything about the history of MTV, that name is definitely looms large. And then his boss, who is John Lack, who is um, you know generally credited as credited as the father of MTV. There's a little bit of a kerfuffle about who um, started MTV initially, although it was a group effort. And then you've also got um, you know people like Gail Sparrow, uh, Carolyn Baker, John Sykes. And then Tom Freston, who uh, was the marketing guy, really, who um, you know worked with people and came up with the MTV logo, the iconic MTV logo, came up with things like the um, MTV uh, moon shot, that famous you know Apollo 11 moon landing with the MTV on the flag. Um, he was behind a lot of that. And um, also Les Garland, who is a interesting figure in the history of MTV. He's kind of a wild guy, kind of the uh, um, uh, liaison with a lot of the stars and things like that, uh, or the musicians, I should say. So you have this um, really interesting team of people, all young guys, are all actually around our age when they started MTV, um, you know, creating this, this thing that a lot of people thought was going to be a complete and utter failure uh, for a number of reasons. Num- one of them was that people hadn't heard of music videos. They didn't think that people were going to actually make them. And also that they were looking to start a television, a 24-hour television network uh, that was almost completely full of free content that barely anyone was making or serious about at the time. That's right. One of the sort of audacious things about MTV in the beginning was that you know people were making clips here and there, but obviously there was, uh, you know, it was not a priority for record companies. A lot of record companies treated it as a kind of a redheaded stepchild. But MTV specifically made a point in the beginning of saying we are not paying for this content. Um, they're basically a channel comprised of uh, free content that is given to them, uh, which is when you think about it, it is a really um, I mean, obviously, a, a great business model. It took them years to become uh, profitable, but um, at the, the you know at least the ten thousand foot level, it's it's they're not really paying for any of this. The people are going out and making it. record companies are um, paying money for them, and later, you know, uh, a large parts of uh, artists new artists' advances would be spent on these hundred thousand dollar music videos. So people are eventually would be just killing themselves, stepping over themselves in the industry to make music videos. Uh, that MTV was just taking and popping into VCR, not uh, not paying for them at all. Yeah, right. And at the beginning, like even setting up wrong, it's like here's the Who, and it's Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like <laughs> they were just basically taking the content and putting it out there, and and uh, you know, filming two minutes of footage, you know, with uh, with a pretty face that they thought would fill some kind of demographic, and right. uh, that was what it was all about. Yeah, it was what it's all about. Um, now uh, we should we should also just mention this is probably common knowledge to a lot of people listening, but music video uh, MTV's launch was on August first, nineteen eighty one, um, at midnight. And Doug, do you know the first music video showed shown on MTV? Uh, yes, I do. Um, and it's it almost is cliche, pretty on the nose choice that they went with. Uh, video killed the radio star. Correct by the Buggles. Um, the second video, Pat Benatar's You Better Run. And uh, the first hour of MTV was apparently quite a technical disaster, which makes think, me feel better. Can't you watch it? You can watch it somewhere. Uh, it is on YouTube. Yes, it, it oh, is. Oh, well, but I also think it's like at, at some kind of uh, something somewhere cooler, like some kind of museum or broadcast museum or something. You know, I wonder if it, uh, you know, it could, actually, I think it is. Um, and I wonder if it will be in the. Um, a music video exhibit in this in, in that's happening in Cincinnati in March. Oh, that that would be interesting. I'm sh- I mean, well, who knows? I'm not going to try to speculate too much. Let's just co- collectively wonder about that. Correct. Now, um, now I, I what I, it's it's important to note that you said that although that, that it took years for MTV to be profitable itself. However, its its cultural significance kind of started happening almost immediately, um, and. Uh, and they were and they were making careers of artists almost from the beginning, um, you know, 
almost by default at first. You know, any artist who had music videos during, uh, you know, the early days of MTV, you know, got got played a lot on that channel. <laughs> well, any anyone they didn't who have was making yet. anyone who was making rock videos. Um, right. Well. It's funny because when you think of MTV, the early days of MTV, a lot of these weird European videos pop in your head, such as A Flock of Seagulls, I Ran So Far Away. And that's because a lot of the artists that were making music just happened to be these like new wave, um, these British artists. And they almost completely, they very quickly almost disappeared from MTV for a time in place of you know, rock videos and, you know, metal of the 80s. But for a long time, that was sort of the the big thing. So, if, you know, when we were kids, I know, you know, VH1 and MTV used to run these, you know, like 100 video countdowns or like music video history things. There would always be these like bizarro, uh, you know, European, uh, you know, fashionable acts like uh, Culture Club and uh, Flock of Seagulls and, and, and all those guys. That seemed to like kind of go outside, like like after that, like once once it was filled with rock, rock style videos, like there seems to be kind of like a lineage, kind of like you could see the progression of where rock videos started and kind of where they are now and you could see where they travel. And, the, and the, those videos don't seem to like have like a natural place in that progression. They're like kind of very strange in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said in the beginning, I think uh, the number is 100 videos. They started out with 100 videos. When you're trying to fill 25 hours a day with these little three, four minute clips, 100 videos is a is a pittance. They yeah, said they, they said almost... they had like 20 and 25 of them were Rod Stewart videos. <laughs> That's true. They said they almost killed Rod Stewart's career. Um, based on these uh you know playing it playing it so much and a lot of them were awful and apparently didn't even enjoy making these music videos they also did have been doing that since the beginning you know playing playing artists out or uh you know making artists victims of themselves Mm -hmm. you know by you know because before it would take you know four or five albums to really like understand or really get to know an artist if you're just basing it on listening to you know an eight to ten song album that they put out you know what i mean it's going to take several albums or one music video and so if your one music video is you know some crazy you know thing where you're you know running in uh cartoons uh or something you know some some weird video that's that's gonna be you know that's kind of gonna define you as an artist to a much wider audience much wider much wider audience now i want to take a little bit of a detour um right now to talk a little bit that's about dangerous it is dangerous i want to talk about a documentary called art and copy have you ever seen this documentary doug uh i have not this is about uh advertising and people in the ad sort of not uh, not Mad Men era but after that like 70s 80s 90s and a figure that looms large in this is a man named george lois who is famous for a few things. Uh, He's famous for a lot of um, Esquire covers in the 1970s for art directing them. Uh, He is a uh, sort of a designer and an art director. He's famous for ads like the um, VW Lemon ad from the 60s and also ostensibly or supposedly designing the uh, Nickelodeon logo as well as a few other things. Um, but in the art world, he's very, very famous. He's a gigantic loudmouth. And one of the things that he is controversially credited as creating is the I Want My MTV campaign, which if you think of, um, you know, if you study marketing or, you know, marketing in America, the I Want My MTV campaign is a great example of a campaign that Pretty much, you know, as we understand it, almost single-handedly saved MTV and and made them a household name. Now, I say that uh, George Lois is sort of tentatively created, uh, credited as creating this campaign because he is a notorious liar, apparently. Um, if you're listening to This American Life, uh, Sarah Koenig, who is one of the producers on that, did a story about... Uh, her father, uh, I think it's John Caning. Can't believe I'm getting that wrong because he's an advertising legend. Um, about all these things that John Caning did, that George Lois took the 
you know, took credit for. But one thing that George Lois probably did do is this uh, Maypo campaign. Um, Maypo is, you know, I'm not even sure what it is. Is it's sort of like Ovaltine, right? It's this chocolate thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like a like some kind of morning yeah meal drink. So he created a campaign for them. I think this is in the '60s, where he had you know Muhammad Ali and different you know kind of tough guys sort of crying and saying you know I want my Maypo, and that was a big a big hit. So when he got involved with you know marketing MTV, apparently his idea was to just do the same thing over over again and is have you know, rock stars and things like that crying, saying, I want my MTV. And thankfully, it was revised past that. Um, and apparently, according to the people in the I Want My MTV book, he had almost nothing to do with the whole I Want My MTV campaign besides taking credit for it. Well, the, a point that I will make is one thing that you you will find when, when looking at the history of MTV is there are a lot of people taking credit for stuff right. that, that I've read that like, 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 uh, you know, people that, that people like a lot of people came up with MTV apparently that's mm-hmm. according to them. So, uh, you'll find that you'll find that if you look back. So it's not an uncommon occurrence. And the, uh, the effectiveness of the, I want my MTV campaign where the people, uh, saying I want my MTV and the legendary story goes is that Les Garland uh, knew Mick Jagger and convinced him to do this ad. Um, and in a hotel room, I think it was in somewhere in Europe, I think in Paris. And, you know, just in the camera saying, I want my MTV. And the idea was that they would air these commercials. And once Mick Jagger did it, you know, he was huge around that time. So everybody said yes. And they got... Um, right. You know, it was like a, a domino effect. Yeah, like from David Bowie and Cindy Lauper and all these huge people basically Pete, telling people. Townsend. Right, exactly. Yeah, who was also massive at that time. Um, still is, I suppose. All these people are still still big. Um, well, as they're all still big is because of MTV, right. and that's that's kind of another that's kind of another point that the uh, the book makes is you know the the people who are still kind of big household names now, and and the, I mean if you look. Back, you know, the people who op- the guy who opened the Grammys this year, uh, Bruce Springsteen, is you know somebody who was very significant uh, to the people from that MTV generation, and they kind of continue to to drive the the music industry, even even though MTV doesn't play music videos anymore. Why, like I said at the beginning, we can't talk about the whole history of the music video, but I think we've we've done a, a pretty good dent in it, going from. The first talkies all the way up to um, early MTV. Well, and I think that up until this point in MTV is kind of when, when what you see them do kind of is now done all the time. Now, I mean, anytime a new cable network pops up, they tell you, you know, call your cable provider and ask them to get <laughs> you stars. You know what I mean? I mean, you hear that all of the time, uh, you know, on other networks and stuff, and uh, you know it. It really become you know you become the cool person by having these channels. That's that's what they're trying to sell, and that's what MTV was selling then. And um, that's right. We should make a note that the the whole point of the campaign was to get people to call their cable providers, and it was extremely uh, successful. People that were uh, you know cable executives who were against carrying MTV and didn't think it was worth it. Um, eventually relented because people called in and said, I want my MTV. Which and is- also, not only did they, the, the cities that they did run those campaigns get, you know, start carrying MTV, but before they, they would, they would also like call them ahead of time and threaten them. It's like, look, we're going to run these ads <laughs> and you guys are going to get flooded with phone calls. So why don't you just pick us up now before, you know, you have to start hiring some more operators to answer the phone and that worked it, it it really did work and uh you know it still works that's another thing that works today if if somebody who's a uh a you know a cool musician tells you something is cool you believe it and and they uh they definitely uh but but at the same time it was because artists kind of have always understood how music videos are able to promote them 
as well, you know. And that's that's another point that they, that MTV was able to sell them on is the fact that, you know, they're promoting themselves, and the network. Well, I think we've covered a, a pretty good uh, pretty good swatch. Would you agree, Doug? Uh, yeah, I, I got to Google what swatch means, but swatch uh, a gamut of uh, of things for this. I think we should do this in a two parter. I think we should talk about the later history later. Um, yeah, some sometime again, another week in the future, we'll pick it on up. So I guess should we shall we do our, our picks of the week? Yeah, I think picks of the week fit in fit in nicely at this point. Okay. So uh, you want to go first, or should I go first? I think you should go ahead and go first. Okay, because I got I got I really enjoy this music video, and it's um. Uh, N words in Paris. There we go. Can't say that. Uh, you can't say that. Any you can't say that on a podcast. You can say f or f this and f that, but not N words in Paris. And um. So if if you know me uh, and have spent some time talking to me about rap live performances, you probably know my stance on this. So that means one of you, Doug. Um, yeah, I know your stance is and, that you say that that they're typically unimagined. They're t- they're typically uh, unlistenable to me. Uh, just really awful uh rap live performances for a few reasons number one is the is the trend of rap performers not not rapping the whole song i think that becomes from a, a lack of thinking about songs as beginning to end things and more thinking about them as sort of beats and feelings and things like that so that now drives it's me absolutely nuts important, it's, it's important to note that that this has changed in the past and a lot of times now you'll see rappers with with live bands and they'll even have like live for live versions of songs that that end up being longer than the radio cut you know where they add things to it and you're and you're getting a more kind of truer live performance these days but uh jay-z comes from a time where that is was not true right and this is jay-z and kanye west um and so this video does a few things I find really interesting. Number one, the, the album that it comes from, Watch the Throne, is is really fantastic. And one of the reasons I find it so fantastic is that it is a very concise album. It's actually a very rock-like album in the way it's kind of constructed. Um, there's not a lot of um, going off on, on tangents. There's usually just one or two kind of quick verses. And um, it's very compact and very kind of neatly formatted. Which is also a little bit rare for a, um, a a rap album. There's no skits or any of that any of that stuff happening. Um, it's very complete. Yeah, it's very complete. Uh, um, so, so anyway, so this is this is a live video um, directed by Kanye West, and actually the beginning of the video it says uh, this video may cause seizures, and you're like, oh, I'm sure it won't cause seizures, but it. It actually is just like very like strobe lighty, blinky, um, very fast, and they're using a, a, an effect that pretty much every cheap video camera in the '90s had, which is it does a mirror image. Although it's a very nice version of that uh, effect, it's, it's essentially that. And what they do is they actually use a live version, them doing it live for the first half until they get toward the end of the music video, and then they start using the um, music, the album version of the song. So. Uh, it's just a very, it sounds weird, but the imagery is just really, um, I don't know, it's very powerful. It's kind of difficult to explain the way that it's, um, you know, stuttered and uh, you can't really tell what's going on. It's very disorienting. Uh, you don't really know what you're looking at a lot of the times and you get kind of glimpse where you orient yourself and you get back into this mode where you can't figure out what's going on. It's a really interesting, uh, really very visually powered video. Um, obviously, there's no narrative. It's an, it's a it's a live video, but a really interesting new take on a live video, and it just happens to be directed by Mr. Kanye West. I, I think what I really like about that video is it, I feel like it captures those images that they're trying to manufacture in the Otis video, and they get them more. It's a lot like Kanye and Jay Z just are are to me are be- probably better when they're more more natural and and uh not really i don't know the otis video just seems so staged to me and uh and this one plays out really a lot more naturally and neither of them really are narrative based or anything like that and so you know i just think this one achieves the things that that otis is trying to 
That's a good it. point. Yeah, because it's very natural and they're really fantastic in the video. So um, I heard during that that concert that they performed that song three times at the end of the night. <laughs> I'm not even again. It could be Twitter lying to me, which is a trend. But I heard that that's what they do. That they perform that song three times. Wow. Um. Uh, so should I go? Yeah, do it. All right, sweet. I will. Um. My pick of the week is by uh, a MC call uh, by the name of Brother Ali, and the video is called uh, for a song called Shine On, and uh, it's another song that I just just recently put on the website. It's another uh, hip hop video. Um, uh, It's directed by Dave Wilson, and uh, the reason I picked this video is it's very interesting uh, concept for the song and the music video. It's actually pretty hilarious. Um, The concept of the video is uh, Brother Ali is at a restaurant and he notices an attractive woman entering. Um, And he decides that he wants to like, uh, in his words on a YouTube comment, uh, kind of like get a closer look and appreciate her beauty. So he uh, pretends to be a waiter and approaches her and like asks for her you know if she wants an appetizer and she orders crab cakes and then he like walks away and like goes and orders crab cakes from like a a real waiter and then brings her crab cakes and uh and and this is all in the lyrics and it's not like a joke rap song it's like a it's a very straight rap song that's just like talking about kind of like a an interesting kind of silly situation and uh, that's like kind of, in its ridiculousness, kind of kind of genuine also. So anyway, uh, Brother Ali grabs the crab cakes, swoops in, uh, delivers the crab cakes to the young lady, and as he does, uh, the waiter kind of approaches, and there's a back and forth between Brother Ali and the waiter, and uh, there's just like this, just after that, in between the second and third verse, there's like a really like uncomfortable moment, like in between the verses where they don't pull away from the interaction and they kind of just show the waiter for like a really long time. And, and like the, the lines of the characters, like it's very narrative driven to the fact that like the, the, the things that the waiter is saying and the things that the girl are saying are actually in the lyrics, like their dialogue is in the lyrics. And the, there's this moment that exists that is uh, really awkward and it's played really awkward in the video. And and you don't find awkward moments in music videos enough. And and it's like really, it's clear that they're trying to do it. The, he even says awkward in, in the lyric, but like they really achieve it. And it's something that's like, to me was a really unique moment for a music video. And that's that's kind of what drove me to make this the pick of the week. Um, so anyway, he he kind of admits to the girl his what he did. And at first she's like off put. And then she's like, well, my date didn't show up. Take a seat if you'd like, like it kind of like works. And then he's like, no, that's all I wanted. I wanted to get close and see you. I'll see you later. And then like leaves. And that's the end of the video. And um, so really interesting and kind of hilarious and strangely genuine video from Brother Ali called Shine On, directed by Dave Wilson. Doug Klinger, pick of the week. I just I just watched it as you were describing it. Let's say I like I like the video. Um, I'm gonna have to watch again to get that awkward moment in its full glory. Um, well, there we go. I think we're I think we're good. Are we good? How do you think we did without an interview? Oh, sorry. I I was talking and I realized I I put push the mute button. <laughs> what what did you, Oh, so what did you say? I was saying that I was watching the video as you were describing it, and I I enjoyed it immensely, and I will watch it again to get the full impact of that uh, um, that moment o- awkward moment. Yes. It's there though, it exists. How how'd I do in timing wise? I don't normally do that, so I, I always am concerned that I'm rambling beyond the length of the song. No, 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 I had to fast forward through parts, so no, Oh, you how good. about that? I'm so, good. So, um, I believe, are you good? I think we're good. I think it was a great episode, great. How do, how do you think we did without our, our guest? Uh, I, I think that we did a, uh, a, 
a a bang up job. Wow. A bang I'm going, up job. I'm going bang up. Wow. Not a lot of people go bang up. So there we go. Doug and Adam show, music video land. Another episode in the can. Thank you for joining us. And next week we will resume um, regularly scheduled interview interviewing. Correct. Thanks. See you guys next week. guys <laughs> like why did you do it why did you do it in that why did you